have some cool news for you. First of all, good morning. I'm Joel, one of the pastors. Exodus chapter 4 today. I'll get into that in a second. I just got news backstage of a couple things. Um, online, just online, we have far more people who engage with us online than in person. Um, and that's exciting for us to think about. We have to look at all the metrics, blah, 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 blah. Um, our average watch time is about 40 minutes. And, and that means they're watching a message about the Word of God, which pumps me up. Amen? Well, we already in the first service today, there wasn't even a quote-unquote invitation. And three people responded to let us know that they received Jesus Christ into their hearts today. Online. Um, so the cool thing is that's awesome for the kingdom. The bad thing for you is that gets me pumped up. Um, right, that's the way it goes. My, uh, I want to tell you real quick my first sermon I ever preached. You ready? You can get two sermons today. You cool with that? Some of you are like, I'm not sure. Um, here's a, it's really short. I, I got up to preach. I was like 16. And I said, hey, listen, um, God is so amazing. He gave his son Jesus to die for us and to share his love with the world. It's so great. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. <laughs> like, it was bad. Like not one of, it wasn't bad to where you go, oh, they'll get better. It was bad to where you just go, please never do it again. <laughs> it was that embarrassing, my first message, my first sermon. My father was the one, he's like, listen, I know that you're struggling with the call. And actually, that was so bad. It's one of the things that caused me to struggle going into ministry. Um, to go, how can God possibly use me? Um, it was embarrassing. Uh, and yet now I talk about it. And it was, it was to the place where I'm like, okay, why would I ever get up in front of people again? Um, and one of the cool things that came from it was a guy by the name of Dan Reeves, no longer with us, but a guy by the name of Dan Reeves. He came to me. This was 20, literally 20 year, uh, 30 years ago. And he says, listen, a group of us want you to lead a, a, a class with us for at least a few months. Um, the youngest person was like mid-30s, the rest were 40, 50s, and 60s. I'm 16, 17 years old. He's like, we want you to lead this class. I step, and I'm like, why did you not listen to me preach? He's, he smiled. He's like, yeah, I did. Um, but we know God wants to use you in certain things. And so all of a sudden, I start leading this class. Like, I failed miserably. I, I, the church grew that day from 500 to 120. It was that bad. And yet, then all of a sudden, this man stepped in and said, no, we want you to come and to, to lead us in learning more about what God is desiring with our own lives. And we know that you're 20, 30, 40 years younger than a lot of us, but we don't care. I am so grateful. Anybody out there grateful for second chances? Third chances? <laughs> Four chances and fifth chances. Today, that's a lot of what we're going to see with Moses. We're going to see somebody who God gives so many chances, and some of us need to recognize that God always can redeem. God can always restore. God can always renew. 
And that's what we're going to see unfold before us in Exodus chapter 4. And if you are new here, I would strongly encourage you to go back and watch the first three weeks of this series at some point, simply because it's going to be instrumental for you understanding where we're going to continually be going each week. I can't spend every week giving a review of Exodus. If I do that, by the time we get to chapter 12, the whole sermon is a review. So go back and listen to those things because here in this passage, we learn so much about God stepping in and giving second chances. But the thing is, um, I wanted to say no to Dan Reeves. I wanted to say no to Dan Reeves, and I did say no to Dan Reeves because, and I started to tell him why. Listen, did you not listen to me speak? Also, um, I'm intimidated because you're all a lot older than I am, and I'll go ahead and tell you right now, um, I'm just, I don't really know what I'm doing. I had all these excuses, and my faith started to be tied to my fear rather than to the power of God. Now, this is important. Our faith has become less about the power of God and more about our own fear. When God steps in and he says, I'm asking you to say yes to something, often what we do is we go, well, do, we, do I think that I'm capable of doing it? Do I think that I can be used with my mouthpiece? And we look at what we consider to be our own abilities and our own opportunities that we have, and we then determine whether or not God can do it. God doesn't need your ability. He needs your willingness to be used. That's it. And I found myself going, wait a second. That that shook me very quick in a very instrumental period of my life. It shook me to the place of where I had to reevaluate what I was saying yes to and what I was saying no to and why. Even as we walk through this passage today in Exodus chapter 4, if you would write down just two words very, very quickly. Write down two words. Write down hands and, and mouth. Hand mouth. What you're going to recognize today throughout Exodus chapter 4, other chapters as well, we are going to jump back into chapter 3 briefly in a second, but as we, as we look at it, um, Moses is being challenged on whether or not, one, he would be the mouthpiece of God. Would he be a mouthpiece of God? Are you willing to speak on behalf and for God? Are you willing, knowing, guys, silence is what? Do you remember this? Silence is concurring with. If you remain silent to something, people around you will consider yourself to be concurring with it, that you're agreeing with it. Silence is concurring with. Silence, that's why I get so, ah, with other places who aren't willing to speak the full gospel because if, the, if, if any, anybody out there is not willing to speak and they consider themselves to be a pastor, if they're not willing to speak the full gospel, the people around them will consider them to be concurring with whatever is happening in the culture. You hear me? And if you give up any of the gospel, you've given up all of the gospel. It's, a, it's called a full gospel for a reason. There is no what? Partial gospel. And so Moses is being approached by God, and you're going to see that Moses is being asked to be a mouthpiece of God. Are you willing to be a mouthpiece of God? It doesn't mean you have to be a preacher. I'm not saying that. It's a good gig, though. I work half a day a week. Hello? It's like, sweet. Tomorrow, I water ski. Tuesday, snow ski. We live in Michigan. It changes. Right? Will you be a mouthpiece of God? 
hand. We often do this. Everybody do this really quick. Even on, like if you're sitting on a couch, do this. Put your coffee down. Are you willing to do this? To walk open-handed. You're going to see hand spoken about often. Really what's happening is God is challenging Moses to walk in open-handed and to use his mouth to speak of him. That's what we see in Exodus chapter 4. And we also discover that here's Mo- Moses is about to really step into ministry. And guess what? He's 80 years old. First 40 years, we already know that he lived in Egypt. This is the raising up, right? And he had all these advantages. But then he killed an Egyptian, uh, ends up running away to Midian, the desert. And he's there for 40 years. And now he's starting to respond to the call of God. We know that from Exodus chapter 3. We've got this thing called the burning bush. It's a crazy sight, even in a desert. Not because it's a burning bush in a dry desert. It's because God spoke out of it and the bush wasn't what? Burning up. It wasn't being consumed. So here he is. If you, if you think you're too old to respond to the call of God, Moses is 80. And he's about to just get started. So here God is speaking to Moses and he's about to begin his ministry. But what Moses does a lot is he objects. I object. It's like he's an attorney. I object. I want to show you, I'm going to call out some chapters and verses in chapter 3 and chapter 4, some situations in which God calls him to something very clear. And then I want to give you what Moses object, objects to, what he says, oh, no, can't do it. That's what you're going to see over and over and over again. So scribble them down if you can, because it's going to, I think if you write them down, this is what will happen. But at some point along this, you're going to go, oh, and God's going to use that to teach you. So let's go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11 says, come. This is God speaking to Moses, okay? So he says, come. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses, here's his response though. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Now I spoke about that before. So here's his first objection. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? What value do I bring to the table? What capabilities and abilities do I have? What strengths do I have that I bring to the table? So he automatically, he objects to something God is asking him to do. He says, no. That's what he's saying. In his objection, he's saying, no. No, thank you. I'm good. Continues on, verse 12. He says, God responds and says, but I'm going to be with you. Here's, this is going to be a sign for you that I have sent to you. He lets them know that, listen, I'm, I'm right. I'm going to be, but I will be with you. Now, you're going to see this in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Another thing you might want to write down is, I will be with you. Here's what we find. I'm going to keep coming back to this. God comes to Moses and says, go do this. And then he says, I will be with you, or I am. He says, one of the two, I will be with you. This is what J- Matthew chapter 28, the thing called the Great Commission. Right, So here's Jesus, and he says it again later on. He also tells them this in Acts chapter 1, but other places as well, After certainly before his ascension and after the resurrection, which was for 40 days. And here he is, and he comes, and he's letting them all know, listen, I want you to go throughout the world, teaching them about Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you. 
all you need is the presence of God. That's what God says over and over. He's like, but I'll be with you. And Moses just constantly says, yeah, but what about this? God said, I'm I'm here. I'm going to be with you. Can we stop being so concerned about what we are capable of and start being concerned with what God is capable of? Because here's Moses once again saying, no, I object. Verse 13 of chapter 3, what if they say and they ask me, what's his name? This God that you're speaking about. And he goes, listen, go tell him I am. Right? I am, right? This is from last week. Speaks about Yahweh. He is God. He is the covenant God. He doesn't forsake. He remembers. He keeps his promises. And so he says, listen, reveal my personal name. It's all good. He says it again, right? He just keeps going. We finally get to chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4. Moses, this is God saying, go and do this. Go and tell the people. And listen, by the way, you're going to get all kinds of resources handed to you. Moses says, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to my voice? If Moses would have only been more concerned with being obedient to God rather than the response of others to God. Calls it out. He said, well, they don't believe me. So God then, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2 through 9, he gives them three miracles to believe in. So I'm going to run through those miracles really quick as part of the objections because this is God speaking to Moses and letting him know what he can do. First thing he does is he says, hey, you see that staff in your hand, throw it on the ground, and he turns that staff into a what? First miracle, staff to snake. All right, just write that. First miracle, this is verses 2, 3, and 4, staff to snake. He says, and the Lord says, what is that in your hand? A staff, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground, becomes a serpent. Moses ran from it. That's what, he is smart sometimes. <laughs> Stick to snake, he takes off, right? That was me. I told you the story one other time about going, I, I'd go into the panhandle, panhandle of Florida where my grandmother had a farm and I'd work with the cattle and all this stuff. And my brother and I, we would go out, sometimes we'd go hunting. Now, when you're in the 70s and 80s um, and you're growing up, I meant 90s and two, early 2000s, when, when you're growing up in that time frame, right, you would just get a gun, and I'd grab the 12-gauge pump, and he'd grab a gun um, or whatever we had around. Lived on a farm. He had lots of guns sitting around, and you'd go hunting. And what do you hunt for? Anything that moves. And so I find <laughs> if you didn't hear that online, some Yahoo said, amen. <laughs> they don't know Jesus, but amen. Um, This is worse than my first sermon. <laughs> um, so we go out looking around for anything that moves, and all of a sudden, from me to that speaker, what is it? It's a snake, rattlesnake. Down there, they only get four or five feet long, but they're, they're wider than I am. They, I mean, they're fat. Giant, they just... So what do I do? Do I do this? No. I hightailed it. I ran. Got a shotgun in my hand, and I just take off running. Why? Because I'm the smartest person in this room. Whoever said that earlier, right? I just start running, and so we go back with my brother, and I was like, "Where are you going?" So we come back, we kill it, um, and I had it for dinner, and just lived off the land. Um, so all of a sudden, you get Moses. He sees this snake. He takes off and runs, and he's like, "Okay, 
But then God speaks and says, no, I need you to go back. I need you to catch it by the tail. I I hate snakes, amen? Like, I really do. God says to him, put your hand on it, catch it by the tail. So he put his hand on it and became a staff again in his hand. That they, listen to verse 5. Why did he do this? That they may believe. Now you're going to go, wow, this is crazy. Now this wasn't, the, especially there's three miracles here, right? The first two aren't too crazy. The reason I say that is because they had these magicians of the time that could do some cr- really crazy things. And God's going to use that later, especially with the plagues and how he's using each one of the plagues, I'm reminding you, represents a God of Egypt during the time. That's why they're so important. And so now all of a sudden what he's got coming is he's, he's stepping into this. And he's saying, grab it, turn it in now back to a staff so that they may believe. And yet the very thing that Moses, I love how God is doing this. He's letting Moses know, you need to believe. Where's your faith? So he does another miraculous sign. Hand was leprous like snow. It says, Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. Put his hand inside the cloak. When he took it out, behold, it was, his hand was leprous like snow. God said, put it back inside your cloak. He put his hand back inside the cloak. When he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Verse 8, if they will not believe you, God said, or if they will not listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. Have I mentioned already that I'm grateful for the patience of God? Because he gives them one sign. He's like, listen, if they don't believe in the first sign, tell them about the second sign so that they may believe in you. So they may believe in what I am wanting to do and that I want to restore and I want to redeem. I want to renew. And he calls it out for them. How many, here's a big question. Is how many signs, he's like, here's the first sign. Here's the second sign. He's about to do another one. How many signs do you need to trust God? Because be careful. Somewhat of a trick question. Because even when Jesus Christ was performing miracles, he's here walking face to face with people and he's performing miraculous signs and he's doing all these wonders, right? People are like, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. And yet at his death, there were only 120 remaining. What I'm here to tell you is the miraculous signs actually don't matter. They really don't because what you're going to say is, why why, why didn't he help my mom or my dad or... Why didn't he help my brother or my sister? Or why didn't he help with finances? Or hey, why did I lose my job? Or why is all these things happening? And every single time, because of the fall, that's what we have, Genesis 1 through 11, that's part of it. Because of sin in our life, all we then do is go, well, I need another sign. We see it over and over. I need another sign. I need another sign. I need another sign. I need another sign. And we often forget what God has done for us. And all we keep track of is what God has not done for us based on our view. You hear me? The signs don't matter. He's, he keeps getting them to him. Like, hey, here's the first sign so that you may believe. Here's another sign in case they don't believe. And then he steps into it again. And he says, listen, if they don't believe you in these two signs or listen to your voice, verse 9, take some water from the Nile. This is important because the Nile River is re- the reason Egypt is what Egypt was. Very important. 
pour it on dry land, take the water from the Nile, pour it on dry land, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, this is a foreshadowing of a part of the plagues that will happen later on. We'll get into that later. So he gives them three different signs. And he's telling them, guys, don't you understand what I am wanting to do? The miracles didn't matter. The power of God didn't matter. Logic and fear was winning the day. Logic and fear was winning the day. But that doesn't make sense. He just keeps objecting. Moses said to the Lord in verse 10, he says, Oh, my Lord, I, don't you understand? Like, he does all of these wonderful signs. And here's Moses' another objection, chapter 4, verse 10. I'm slow to speak and I, I, I don't have good language, right? I'm not eloquent, either in the past or even now. Like, don't you know? I can't be used by you to be your mouthpiece. It doesn't, it doesn't involve your ability. It involves you saying yes to God. That's what matters. So Moses keeps objecting. So here comes God once again letting him know, listen, Who's the one who made your mouth? Verse 11 and 12. I did. I will do what I want to do. Who makes you mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. I will be with your mouth. There, I will be with. I will be with. There it is again. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. The thing, when you read through Scripture, let me just help you out here, because God gives us Holy Spirit to help us understand Scripture for ourselves. You don't have, yes, we learn from spiritual leaders, but you can learn a tremendous amount just between you and God. That's the power of Holy Spirit. You open up Scripture. Just start looking for recurring themes. That's a theme that you see in this Scripture. I will be with. I will be with. I will be with. He says it again, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, verse 13, oh, reminds me of kids. Like, right, go clean your room. I forgot. Go clean your room. I got busy. Go clean your room. You just want to tie them to a tree outside and leave them overnight. Amen? Oh, I'm speaking for you, not, not from personal experience. Because here comes Moses. And he calls out, so Mo, here's God. I'm God. I got you. Go do all this. Here are all these miraculous signs. Here he comes again. Lord, please send someone else. For your small groups, maybe at home with a loved one, for a friend, whoever you are speaking to, can I ask you guys to talk about something? Are you saying no to something God has called you to do? Again, I don't care about your ability. I don't care if you say that you're busy. You don't understand. I'm too busy. Just remember that when you said yes to Jesus, you gave up your wallet. You gave up your calendar. You gave up your family. You gave up everything because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. If that's not your understanding of what a disciple is, you need to go and read Luke chapter 14, which speaks about the cost of discipleship, and then come see me. 
And I'll let you know what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It means you're, you have no more self-rights. They all belong to Jesus Christ because you know that's for eternity. And you're eager to do his will. Amen? That's what a disciple is. That's what a disciple is. That's what a follower of Yahweh is. So verse 13, here he is. Oh, oh my Lord, please send someone else. It's kind of like Moses saying, I mean, here I am, God, but use Aaron. Here he is, starts to justify it. That's his older brother. Yes, he's older, and we know that he's several years older. That's why he was not part of those, those kids, those male children that were being killed by Pharaoh in Egypt back in Exodus 1 and 2. So we recognize all this is happening. So he would have been older, and what's happening is uh, he's going, use him, please use him. He's better of speech than I am. What excuse do you have in your life right now that is causing you to say no to God. Oh Lord, please send someone else. And verse 14 is significant. It says, And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. There are some people you just don't want to upset. Can we agree that God would be one of them? And then the anger of the Lord was kindled, was lit against Moses. I even see that word kindled, and I think of kindling. You know what that is, right? Old pine stumps that you dig up out of the earth, and you cut up, and that's how you start fires. If you, right, anybody? You do that in Michigan? No, yes? Just cleaning out my garage this last week. Why? Because I saw sunshine. I was like, oh, summer's here. My kid's running around with no shirt on. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Right? So I grab it, and I'm, I, just, I use it. I still get it from the farm whenever I go down there, and I get a, a bunch of it. I go walk around, and I try to find some, dig it up. I bring it back, cut up in pieces. I still use it, mainly because the smell's so good. But you light it up, and it's just like, oh, it's so easy to light because of the sap that's in it. Well, that's Moses. All of a sudden, it was, it was easy to light. His anger toward Moses was kindled. It was easy to light. And there may be anger of the Lord toward you. And it wasn't because, I, I, don't think it, I truly don't think it was because Moses had questions about, hey, how is this possible? It's because he wouldn't submit to what God was wanting. This is important for us to understand. We've got to understand this. The only time we see God get angry is with Moses' lack of submission, telling God to send someone else. Are you currently telling God no? When God's saying, this is what I want to use you for. Why are you so scared of what your neighbor's going to think, knowing that they may not be your neighbor in six months? Why are you so timid about what the world may say and think and do when you know, you know the whole world thing? I created it. Verse 
Have you told God no about something that you shouldn't be telling God no to? Because this is when his anger, he just won't submit. He just keeps doing it time and time and time again. But praise be to God that he is a God of patience. Because then what we see happening is is, as though God just finally just says, okay, fine, I'll give a bit of compromise. And he agrees in 16 and 17 to use Aaron as a mouthpiece as well. It's like, fine, I'll let Aaron be part of it. I'm asking you to do this. And you keep coming up with every objection that there is. You're not fully submitting to me. So now his anger is burning. But then he's willing to say, okay, fine, I'll... Look, I think it's a little bit of compromise. I really do. Verse 16, he says, you shall speak, He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And he told him, take in your hand the staff, which you will do the signs that he's been instructed to do. So he takes that very staff that he already grabbed up that was a snake, and he picked it back up by the tail and turned back into his staff. So now he's going to use that to do some miraculous signs before the people. Now remember, he's 80. For the last 40 years, he's been living out in the, Midian, in the desert of Midian. And he now goes to his father-in-law, Jethro. And he lets him know what God's told him to do. He's starting to, to, say, he's starting to say, fine. I really do think Moses was disgruntled the entire time. But sometimes you just have to do the godly until your heart catches up, right? That's what my bracelet actually says. The one I have, it says, do the godly. On the inside, it says, until your heart catches up. I shouldn't have said that. Don't ask for one. We have like four. Um, But we've got to do the godly until your heart catches up. I think Moses was finally starting to want to do the godly until his heart would catch up. Moses goes back to Jethro, and Jethro, his father-in-law, says, fine. He gives him a blessing and says, go. So he puts his wife, Zipporah, and his sons on a donkey, and they go back to the land of Egypt. He starts going that direction. The Lord says to Moses, verse 21, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. So go. You're going to use that staff. He's already told him, verse 17. Use the staff. You're going to do all these miraculous signs before Pharaoh. But then he says this, but I will harden his heart. So he will not let the people go. Sometimes I actually identify with Moses being like, come on. In the next, ten, in, in, in the next I think it's um, 10 chapters, 20 different times, here's the recurring theme, he speaks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Another translation would be heavy. So 20 times in 10 chapters, he's speaking about Pharaoh's heart being heavy or hardened. And he calls it out. And then it says, go back to Egypt. You can put the screen, put it back up there. That's good. See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to the Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Right? We think about God and his firstborn son being Jesus, but now you have Israel, which is sometimes you look at Jesus as being Israel. There's a lot there, but I'm going to keep going. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, if you don't see some underlining themes here and the firstborn son being killed. Thousands of years before. Well, 
He states all of this. Um, and then in, uh, verse 24, 25, and 26 is some people consider it to be out of place. Um, it's God's perfect word, though, so it's not out of place. It just seems a bit awkward for us because we want everything clean and simple. It's kind of the way we live. He says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. This is God speaking about Moses. Now, God has invested a lot in Moses, and now all of a sudden they're at a lodging place, and he's like, I'm going to put him to death. Hold up. Like, why? Well, as we continue through this, his wife, Zipporah, took a piece of flint, cut off her son's foreskin. This is called circumcision, if you don't know. And touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone, and it was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Because of the circumcision. We need to understand something very, very important here. It's a, bit, it's a story that's a bit perplexing, and there's a, bit, there's, there's a few obscurities that kind of go along with it, uh, I have to tell you. But the main thing that we have to understand in this passage, uh, these three verses, is here we know that part of the covenant with God for the people was circumcision of their sons. And yet Moses, who God is wanting to use, had neglected to fulfill one of the responsibilities that he had been given for circumcision. And so now he's having to step back in to that covenantal promise that he has always had. And you start to understand that a lack of obedience, a lack of obedience to any instruction of God will always serve as an obstacle to God. There is a full gospel. There's not a partial, partial gospel. There is simply a full gospel. And we need to be obedient to all of the gospel. And so what he's learning is, man, you know what? I haven't even obeyed this covenant that I've made. I need to step into what that is. I need to understand that a lack of obedience to any instruction of God will always serve as an obstacle to God. That's why we say that's what sin does. Sin does what? It separates us from God. Any sin in your life is causing separation between you and God. doesn't matter what it is. It can be premarital sex. It can be cheating your company and you're stealing money from it. It can be something that you're not treating your spouse the way you need to be treating your spouse. It doesn't matter what it is. Any sin in your life creates an obstacle between you and God. It separates you from God. Here, Moses had this obstacle, not being fully obedient to the covenant that he had made. His wife steps in and says, foreskin. So glad I'm not that kid. By the way, your lack of obedience does impact others. Finally, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went, met with him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Verse 28, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron, they went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. All the signs. He's performing all of them. Verse 29, 30, and 31. Make sure you listen to this, please. He says, And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered all of them together, spoke the words. They did the signs in the sight of the people that they had been commanded to do. 
verse 31. Big, big, big. It says, And the people believed. I think this is probably a, a rewarding time for Moses. I mean, think about he, he had left. Some of them are going to remember when he had left. They're going to recognize, okay, what's going on here? What are they going to do? What are they going to say? But the people believed. This was the people's response to hearing and seeing God. And you might want to write this down as well, just a few words. It's not very hard. They believed, that's one. Or you can write believed. Draw an arrow. It then says they bowed their head. So their belief led to a bowing of their head. Their bowing of head led to what? Worship. Hearing from God, seeing from God, believing in all that he was led to a bowing of the head and a time of worship of the people collectively. Because they recognized, one, they had not been forgotten. Remember, that's part of the story is now the people are stepping in and they're, they're seeing that God was still with them. I'm sure at some point in the midst of this slavery, they had already felt forgotten, but God was stepping in and letting them know, you have not been forgotten. I have remembered you and I'm letting you know you have not been forgotten, that God remembers you. That's called good news. And you may feel desperate. You may feel as though that things are just collapsing around you. But what I'm letting you know is God has not forgotten. And even though you don't think you have any capabilities or any abilities, if you would simply start saying yes to what God is calling you to, what you would then witness is more the power of God working in your life. That's the responsibility of Chapel Point. The one thing this church will do, anything God asks, we say yes. That's it. If the Almighty is asking, we say yes to His will, to His way, because it's all about God's glory and God's purpose. We desire all of God in all things. What are you saying no to? What are you raising your hand to God? God has said, listen, this is what I want you to do. I don't know why you won't tell your neighbor. You keep saying you're waiting for an opportunity for both of you to stand there at the fence and go, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Go tell your friends about Jesus. It is a message worth sharing. Amen. And the people are just, they respond. They bow their heads and they begin to worship. We live in a culture. This is what we have made church. We have made church about what we think we can achieve. And so we ask God to help us accomplish our desires. And yet here's a, let me show you the, let me tell you the biblical pattern. It's not God, this is what I desire. Come and join me. It's God, what are you desiring? And even though I'm, I don't feel equipped, I trust you enough to do it anyway. 
That's, that's called hard evaluation for probably everybody in this room. But I've got my plans. This is what I want. Can, God, can I give you a calendar of the events and exactly how I want it to occur? And then when you don't do it, I'm going to get ticked off at you, but don't worry about that. Just do what I want. That's the, that's the way the majority of people are wired. But remember, you're not your own. You've given up everything for Christ. What is God asking you to say yes to? And for some of you, maybe, maybe it's for some of the people here and watching online today, you need to start saying yes to Jesus. First, that he is the son of God. But second, that know that he's calling you to do something far more than you are ever capable of doing on your own. And God is asking us as a church to do some pretty radical things. He's asking us to say yes to things that do not make sense right now. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't sleep. A little bit, not much. Wake up a lot. And when I really start evaluating why I'm not sleeping, it's not because I don't trust God. It's because I think that I'm the one who has to do it. I don't have to do it. I have an army, amen? And so we will put our hands out, hands out, please, we put our hands out, put them out. We put our hands out and say, whatever you want, God, we say yes. Will you say yes with me? Do you, I mean, it's, just, this is, it's pretty ironic that God wants to use a little church in what was a farming community in West Michigan, which I had never visited until I got a phone call. I believe to change a region for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know from this message, it has nothing to do with our capability. It has everything to do with the ability and the call of God. Amen. Will you say yes? Will you say yes? Yes? Any other yeses? Sometimes I'm so embarrassed when I think back on my life and the things I've said no to, if God asks, we say yes. You don't have to be good at it. You just say yes. And watch God work. He has not forgotten you, amen? God, I pray that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we would know what it is to say yes to you, to simply have your anointing, to know that you're capable of doing all things. We just have to say yes, that you can use the weak, that you can use the feeble, that you can use the broken, that you can use the downtrodden to do amazing things if we would simply come before you and acknowledge that you, through your son, Jesus Christ, you have redeemed the world. And so, God, today, as your church, may we say yes. Amen.